Kirvano and welcome to When Lambs Are Sound, the podcast. You're here with Aaron and we have a special guest host joining us today. Jess, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much, um, Aaron. And yeah, I'm really excited to be here and thank you for asking me to be here. I'm, you know, just a person of average intelligence and <laughs> standing, um, but you know, um, I'm really excited for what we are about to talk about. Well, if you have been listening to the show, you will obviously know that amazing music that plays <laughs> at the beginning, in the middle, at the end. <laughs> and well, this is the voice that brings you and the brain and the mind and the soul that brings you that music. Well, you know, I'm, I'm here. I, I hope my talking voice is up to standard Um you know, it's going to be great, and you know, I was plug. going to sing through this, but I thought nah, you should I'm give us a little bit of a no. Mm, no? Mm, no. Yeah, we'll find it on Spotify <laughs> under Jess Jackson, Jess Jackson and Leon Shelley. There you go. It's it's gold, <laughs> by the way. So, Jess, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, I am. Yeah, Jess. I um, live in Massey, West Auckland, Matakiri. I love where I live. I'm very blessed and honoured to be there. And I am social worker by trade. Um, I haven't done that for a little while, so I'm a bit out of the loop on that kind of stuff. But I've been mumming, mumming, been a mum for a little while. Um, I've got a, f- a five-year-old and a three-year-old. And yeah, I do music and arts and crafts and things like that. And yeah, I just, that's about, about it. I think that's, all, that's the I sum mean, that's, total of who I am. That's a lot. You know, <laughs> you know mumming especially has got to be one of the most important jobs we've got out there, right? Oh, yeah, it's um, it's got its highs and lows, but no, I love it. It's good. Yeah. So today hmm. we're continuing our series on um, youth homelessness, and we're specifically looking at young mama um, and matoa taioi um, and their experiences homelessness mm. today. Yeah. And we're going to be talking to a service called Itipu Irea Whānau Services. And um, it's Lauren who's joining us. We're really, really privileged to have her on the show. She's an amazing advocate <laughs> and social worker. Also, Itipu Irea are also collective members of Manaki Rangatahi and doing a lot um, in that space around how we you know, prevent and end youth homelessness. We're really excited to have her on the show today. Nice. Should we get into it? Let's do it. Kia Lauren, and welcome to When Names Aside, the podcast. How are you doing today? Doing good, doing good. Yeah. Thanks for having me here. No, thanks for joining us after a tough day, Mahi. <laughs> Can you tell us, a, yeah, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what brings you into this co-papa? All right. Um, yeah, so my name is Lauren Bailey, and I am a social worker in an organization called Etipurea Fano Services. I've been for a little while, about four years different roles doing doing social work but always had a, a, a real big hunger for social justice and throughout my degree I was kind of like oh, I don't really know social work is supposed to be about social justice and human rights and you know change and empowering people and, and changing messed up systems but the more I did social work the more I realized like it's not actually that very much it's you know we're it's all about it seemed to be all about adjusting people to their, their circumstances rather than trying to change those structural those structural factors that, that create those circumstances. So I sort of flopped around a few different roles and didn't really find my space. And then I found it to put air. And so this is a, um, a Kaupapa Māori organisation that works with young hapu mama and mātua taiohi, so young parents. From about age thirteen, as I has been our youngest, um, up to about twenty five, which is a very unique cohort of young people, and we yeah we get alongside them and, and help them navigate that journey of, of becoming becoming a parent and everything that that everything that's involved in that yeah and I found that I mean we'll probably talk about this a bit more later but I've, I found that I was able to be a lot more a lot more strong in my in my advocacy and. And working much more on that structural level for social justice um, than I had been able to do before that. Yeah, I was raised out in Helensville, um, in northwest of Auckland, where I found I still live, um, and I live quite close to there now. So that's yeah, that's sort of a rural upbringing has been quite important to me. I don't have kids myself um, yet, but we just got a dog, so you know that's keeping me busy for a little while. <laughs> 
Same thing, right? Yeah. Oh, so much work. Who knew that a puppy was so much work? Awesome. Hey, thank you for that. So, you know, for some people, this this idea of like combining, we're talking about youth homelessness and we're talking about like young parents. And that might be a bit of a shocking thing um, to think that you guys are working with rangatahi, young mama, um, and you know, young young dads as well who are like experiencing homelessness. Like, what? Tell us, tell us a bit about that. Like, what are you seeing in the community? What's some of the reality that's going on? Definitely, housing is the number one issue that we face, issue or need. You know, if you sit down with with the with the hapa mama or a young parent, they will always say, "I want my own house. I want my own space where I can, you know, be a parent and raise my child." And you know, the, the, we, we always hear about on the news and stuff that the, buying a house is so hard and everyone's in motels and that kind of thing. But it's for Hapa Mama and, and Papa as well, Matotaohe, they, like, it is virtually impossible to find housing for them. There are so many gaps that they fall through in both the, the private rental market, but also Kanga Order and in, like, the community housing space. All these gaps and, and eligibility criteria that they that they miss out on because because they're in a unique space you know if they're if they're 15 and hapu or if they're 18 and in a relationship that's really hard as well because even though they might be able to get a get a tenancy you know legally because they're 18 they can sign a tenancy nobody wants to rent to a young usually brown because we you know we're a cup of a money organization and we most of our our whanau are maori no one wants to rent to a young brown single mom you know like it's there is so much discrimination and gaps that we find even in organizations that are trying to help with housing yeah so age age is definitely a massive a massive barrier so obviously being being under 18 you can't get a private rental being under 16 you're very unlikely to get into any kind of emergency housing and so we've we've got that issue with the with the hapu mama at the moment she's 15 and she's she's in a supportive environment at the moment but that's not going to last very long and there's literally nowhere else for her to go some community housing providers only accept people with 18 and if they have a child in hand like if you're over to 18 and hapu, no, no, sorry, wait, you know, reapply once once you've had your baby. It's like, how does this young parent prepare for their child? And, you know, we know how important it is for that child's development and being in a safe and stable environment is so important for the health of that pipi. And if this mama is homeless or being turned away from housing providers, which is supposed to help, like that is so unsettling and so uh, yeah, it just causes so much anxiety and and hopelessness for them. And the other issue that we find a lot is when a couple are in a relationship. So this is MSD rules. If any of the parties are under eighteen, they don't legally have to declare their relationship to to work and income. So that I mean that's good because that eases the pressure in terms of their relationship and that formal process. But it means that they're not eligible for any kind of housing together because they're not they're not in a declared relationship, and so that means they're not they can't register for social housing together as a couple. So they get locked out of all those services as well. And there is a way that they can declare their relationship, but it requires them to go in front of a family court judge and declare that they're in this committed relationship, which they may well be, but. That's a hell of a thing to ask. Like, I wouldn't even want to do that, and I'm in a very like stable relationship. You know, it's yeah, it's messed up um, that that is the requirement. But there's no way around that that I've found yet. Yeah. So that means that 17 year old couples, even if they are committed to staying together and and you know raising their baby together, there's no housing available for them. That's crazy. And and just to go back to something you said before, are you saying that? You mentioned a young mama um, being turned away because she was pregnant and having yeah. to wait until the baby came before yeah. they could be considered. Yeah, that is one particular big housing provider in Auckland has has declined many of our referrals 
um, because there is no child involved, even though they're hapu. And we find that work and income. Also, if, if a young mama who's over 18, so is sort of eligible for the mainstream emergency accommodation, they will try to push her into uh, like, a, like a lodge or boarding house instead of into a motel, you know, where she's got a, a self-contained room. Yeah, so I've, I've had her pushed into a boarding house where she's in a, she's got like a shared bathroom, like a, like a unisex bathroom and a shared kitchen. And, you know, men were coming into the shower while she was in there and things like that. Like it was, it was messed up. They were going to come to say, sorry, I can't stay there anymore. And so then they took that as a decline of emergency housing and said that she's no longer eligible. This was a very vulnerable 18-year-old single hapu mama. And what was the what was the reason for that? What was the argument? Um, oh, because they offered her one and she turned it down. Wow. Yeah. So, so when we're talking about young, young, you know, young uh, matua taioi, like how how old are you talking in terms of what what range of rangatahi you've mentioned younger than younger than sixteen in some cases? What's sort of the youngest young person that so you've? Our, our youngest has been thirteen. She luckily she, this this one didn't have any any housing needs. She was she was living she was able to stay living at home with her whanau and was really well supported. So our youngest one with severe housing need is fifteen, and we're we're completely stuck with her and what, because there's there's no options for her. And what's going on in our communities? Like what's what's happening in sort of like whanau that is that means that that support's not there. We find that a lot of our a lot of our matotaohi have pretty traumatic histories. A lot of them have sort of history of oranga tamariki being involved with their whanau. So so often their whanau relationships have been severed. So you know if if they were uplifted themselves as a child, they they may not have a a good relationship with their whanau to be able to to be able to live there. So family family relationships are uh, a massive. But the other one is like housing inadequacy. So, you know, whānau are living in housing that's way too overcrowded and cold and damp and you know, these kids are sleeping on the floor and they're like, well, I don't want to bring my baby into this kind of environment. I need somewhere else. And the pressure of having another person in the house, even if they're a little baby, um, is it just becomes too much. And, yeah, we, we found that over lockdown – as most of us discovered, actually, like being in your little bubble, that causes tensions and it's hard. And when you're in an overcrowded environment and if you're hapu or have a new baby in an overcrowded environment, that is hard. And so, we, yeah, a lot of our a lot of our mama um, had to leave during lockdown um, because it was, yeah, it just it just became too hard and, and unsafe for them to stay even though it had been pretty stable up till then. Mm. So have you seen lockdown exacerbating some of the issues that you were? Yeah. The stuff that we had been dealing with prior, it, yeah, it escalated significantly during lockdown. Mm. Yeah. And and can you like explain to us, you know, like what's it like, um, like what are some of the challenges our young, you know, our mato taioi and our, our young hapu mama, like uh, what are those challenges that they're facing when they're experiencing homelessness and trying to parent or prepare to parent? Like yeah. what's some of the reality of that? Um, a lot of them don't have ID. So really basic things don't have ID. So therefore can't sign a tenancy, even if they were able to, a lot of them don't drive, you know, so they don't have a license, but they don't have access to a car. And as we know in Auckland, like public transport sucks, so you can't rely on. They're pretty isolated to where they are, so they can't they can't go to house viewings or can't like get themselves to places. So they're really reliant on their support people, whether that's us as or you know if they've got a cousin or someone that can drive them around to places. Yeah, when they're preparing for babies, and if they don't have a stable environment, they don't have anywhere to stuff that they need for their baby you know the, the the bassinet and the bath and the pram and the car seat and all that all the clothes and all the you know all the stuff that that we work really hard to to acquire for them they don't have anywhere to put it and so that that causes a lot of stress as well because if they're approaching their due date 
they're sleeping on the couch, you know, they're just crashing at someone's house. They're like, oh, I don't know what to do. And that becomes really hard. Yeah. And then, and then parenting in a unstable environment is, is awful. If that parent is, is unsettled and is hugely anxious and stressed about their situation, you know, they, they try their best, of course, but, you know, parenting is often, they try the best that they can, but it, that's really hard in a, in an environment that's, that's not working for them. Yeah. And what are some of these environments that you're like, what's maybe the most challenging spaces where you've had to, I guess, leave some of your young people and what are you, you know, you mentioned hotels before overcrowding, like, can you describe a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, we've got a, got a few in hotels. We've had one one couple who are in an emergency motel because their final relationship broke down over lockdown. They got into emergency accommodation and then they had their baby. And so they took their baby home from the hospital to a motel. That was devastating. They're actually doing really well and they they don't seem too faced by it. But, you know, it shouldn't be like that. Yeah, I've got, an, got another mama who she's living with her partner's family and it's a really violent unstable house like you know his family are quite yep quite violent and she doesn't feel safe there but she has nowhere else to go you know and she's got a one-year-old daughter and and there's a lot of police call outs because of because of violence not necessarily towards her but just in the house and yeah she's got nowhere else to go she yeah, she she doesn't want to leave the boyfriend, but because they're young, they're under eighteen, they can't get into emergency housing together, and so they, she's just like, oh, well, we'll just put up with it and try to get out of the way when things get messy, and you know, like that's it shouldn't be like we should we should be able to have housing that is specific to the needs of Rangatahi, but also of Matuataohi, that is is urgent is immediate you know um not ones that you have to wait on the waiting list for six weeks yeah what sort of impact does this sort of housing and security and, and these experiences of homelessness have on i guess even you know our young people's ability to um, raise their kids you know um is there is there a risk there that they won't have that even have that opportunity yeah definitely how so yeah housing and security is is definitely one of the red flags that gets raised to Oranga Tamariki. You know, as I was saying before, like parenting in an unstable or overcrowded or a homeless environment is is really hard, and and that will get raised as a as a child protection concern um, to Oranga Tamariki, and that's not really fair. You know, they can't do anything towards housing either, and so that just adds to the the pressure and the stress on that young parent. Because not only are they homeless or experiencing some sort of housing um, precariousness, but then they've got OT bring, breathing down their neck as well. That creates significant trauma, particularly if they're one of the ones that have already experienced, you know, OT involvement when they were a child. But it also means that they can't they can't sort of settle into their lives. So, you know, there's there's so many programs and courses and education that they could they could be doing and enrolled in and, and participating in society and community but if they're not sure where they're sleeping then then they don't they they're not the ones that are going back to school to finish their nca they're not the ones that are enrolling their child in in preschool or kohanga because because they don't know where they're staying so yeah it means they do miss out on a lot a lot of those really positive life life experiences and life skills because they don't know where they're living or they get moving around and I would have settled. Yeah. And how does it, you know, you mentioned that they the, the comment around like OT breathing down their necks, you know, and, you know, I guess that fear that some young parents might feel around, hey, you know, we don't have housing, we could lose our child. Like, you know, what's it like journeying with young people through that experience? Because obviously they're not the ones holding up the ability to be housed, right? Like if there's not enough housing, that's not their fault. But yeah. um What's yeah? What's that experience like trying to journey through with them through that space? It's it's devastating. It's heartbreaking, you know, because it's not their fault that they're experiencing this housing insecurity. 
you know, it's these systems that don't let them in. And yet there's this big part of the system that's that's coming on board saying, oh, you know, this child is probably at risk because they're sleeping on the couch at someone's house. You know, and yeah, walking walking with them through that is is really hard. Yeah, we've never like we've never had an uplift or anything because of because of housing, so that that is great. But maybe it's boasting a little bit, but maybe that's because we're involved, you know, and that we're able to to step in there and advocate on behalf and and then you know try everything we can to find housing. So I don't I don't know what the kind of statistics are of of people that that are uplifted because of housing, but I'm sure I'm sure it happens. Yeah, man, holding that fear and that trauma is is tough for them. Yeah. And um, I mean, what do you think are some of the solutions here? You know, like obviously, <laughs> these young people are, you know, I would say fairly amazing. Sort of having the parent in that space, I cannot imagine. You know, I spoke to one of our young mama today, and the choices she has to make, and has to always be thinking twenty steps ahead because of all everyone that's watching her and recording every decision she makes right now. Yeah. Um, like the pressure is just immense, right? Like, like what, what's some of the solutions here to, to support our, our matua, taihaui and our, and our, our mama? Um, we need a dedicated housing space for them, um, which is something that we're actually trying to develop at the moment. Um, so we we want to become a community housing. So Itibuta wants to become a community housing provider, specifically for Mato Taiohe. And yeah, that could be a combination of emergency housing um, and maybe more sort of medium term. But to have somewhere that is not only youth friendly but child friendly as well, because we, all of these emergency spaces are not either of those things at the moment. So having yeah having very boutique style and um, designated accommodation space would be awesome. I think we're, so we've got a um, business case in at the moment. We've said, you know, six or eight units, those would get filled instantly. Like I could fill them tonight, you know? Yeah. It needs to be a lot bigger than that, but we've got to start small. But the other thing is for community housing providers to, to, you know, ease their criteria. If that one would allow an 18-year-old plus hapumama and not just the ones that have had their baby, if one of the youth housing ones was able to take couples and not just single mama, and if, if places were able to take them a bit younger as well, sort of the more 15, 16-year-olds, that would that would change any, everything. And then also, of course, like the kind of order social housing list is just way too long and they just need more houses <laughs> and, yeah. you know, I don't yeah. know how they, but I know how they prioritize but like they should change their priority rating system as well because I tell you what like I've got some high priority ones hundred <laughs> percent and I wonder how much um you you mentioned discrimination at the beginning um for our young parents and you know I wonder if you how much of that is a barrier to potential interventions that could like, what's some of this discrimination that you see and um, how could we address that within our own communities to maybe get better outcomes from a community level? Yeah. I mean, a lot of, a lot of these mama are afraid of, you know, walking down the street with their baby in the pram because, because they look young and then they've got a baby and they're afraid of just the looks they'll get from people driving past them in their cars you know that's on the very sort of minor end and then on the, the other end it's you know they they will be declined from from rentals because they're young and they're usually single with a baby and usually brown and you know landlords that's not the idea so i think part of the issue is because we, we know that the the rate of teen pregnancy is declining but it still it still remains high, and for Māori, it's it's still much higher than for for Pākehā. So it's you know it's a the intersectional um, oppressions there of of being yeah of being young and of being Māori and then of being a young mum, uh, you know that has that has massive ramifications. 
but the fact that that rate is declining it it's it's a it's a cohort that's pretty unseen in within the community um and within sort of political rhetoric and in the media and uh, in the media except for when it's a bad thing you know about teen pregnancies and stopping teen pregnancies and all that so yeah not only is there is there sort of abject discrimination but there's also there's also just this invisibility and there's no there's no services that are actually for them you know they're just so unseen within the community um, and then when they are seen, they are discriminated against, which it, it makes life really, really hard for them. Yeah, um, I was just, as you were talking, I was remembering um, CPAG, Child Poverty Action Group, released the report after the last lockdown that highlighted that young parents, um, young single mums specifically, um, were being turned down by tendencies, which I think you meant before, just because of being single and being a mum. I wonder if that's a solution, you know, in terms of community, like that's something we can all be a part of actually is not discriminate and judging that young mother yeah. just because she's young and she's a mum. you know? Yeah. yeah. It's crazy to think that we have to yeah. say that, but yeah. I had, I had one young mum who um, was 19 and in emergency housing in a motel and she was so afraid, you know, she signed up to the motel. She was told her obligations of if you are not, this is from MSD. If you don't provide evidence, sufficient evidence, enough evidence that you are looking for your own place, then you will pay, be charged for the motel room, which was 1500 bucks a week. And she was so afraid of that, that she went out with her toddler on the bus all day, every day to go to house viewings because, because she was so afraid of being charged $1,500. And of course, she was declined for every single house that she went to, and yet there was this fear of like, holy shit, I'm, you know, I, I, that's more money than I'm ever going to have in my life. I can't, I can't pay that. And it was, that was really traumatic for her, you know. And so if, yeah, if one of those landlords had turned around to be like, oh, yes, wait, you can rent my house, like that would have that would change anything for her. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine that feeling of powerlessness as well. Once again, you know, a pressure being put on her by a system saying that you're the one to blame here. You're like, you need to get this done yeah. um, in a political climate, you know, in a, in a social context where there is just not enough of this resource yeah. um, going around. Yeah. What would you say to, um, as we're sort of like beginning to close, like what a, you know, what What would you like to leave with someone that's maybe entering this conversation for the first time? You know, maybe they've been hearing about homelessness and they're like, you know, you have homelessness, like, well, cool, that's reality. But like young mothers, like 15-year-olds, mm. 17, 18, you know, not saying that they've really um, come across before or maybe, you know, maybe there's the, the, all they've heard is that old narrative that maybe a lot of us have that are, oh, you know, actually they could go home if they wanted to, but they're just doing their own thing, you know, like, what would you like to speak into that space for someone who's maybe just you know wrestling with this and, and struggling to to hear some of this? I think there's there's first a lot of yeah a lot of disbelief around the fact that youth homelessness even exists, and two there's a lot of judgment around around young parents and you know how they got pregnant and that they shouldn't have got pregnant and you know that whole narrative. And so when you combine those two, there's, yeah, I can understand that a lot of people will be like, well, they shouldn't have got pregnant in the first place. If they don't have anywhere to live, they shouldn't have had a baby. Obviously, I don't agree with that, but I can, I can understand that people might have that view. And like, yeah, the reality is people have sex, <laughs> young people are having sex and babies are made and that's not a reason to to punish that that parent or that baby you know and housing is a basic human right and these young parents are being are being denied that by agencies that are supposed to be helping and so yeah i would say to to landlords like these guys are awesome they're amazing young people they're amazing parents and they deserve a chance 
and to community housing providers, flip and open your doors, man. Like there is no one else that's doing this. So if they're not, like nobody is. So we need them to loosen their their criteria to get in because because these young people are are really suffering because of it. And we did MSD to just like sort that shit out because messed up as well. You know, not not push people into boarding houses. Make sure that they're in, you know, make sure emergency accommodation is easy to access and, yeah, and safe. Not not a boarding house. Yeah. Politicians need to know what's happening. And we're, we're trying to do a bit of policy work at the moment around this stuff. Um, just because they don't, they don't know what the issues are either. They're not, they're not listening. So that's another thing is they need to wake up and see what's happening as well. That even though this is, this is a really small, like comparatively small cohort, you know, these people are our future and yeah, we're, we are really doing them a disservice by, by keeping them homeless. What can people do if they're, you know, hearing this, want to, want to respond, want to act, want to show their support for the Kaupapa, how can they help? Well, they can sign our petition. So Itabura a part of Manaki Rangatahi, very proud members. And Manaki Rangatahi, as you know, is, is the Youth Homelessness Collective. And we have a petition on Action Station to call attention to to the reality of, of youth homelessness. And we've got some key strategies out there about, um, you know, how, how to make change. So go sign the petition and we will be delivering that to MPs in due course. But also, uh, like, look around your community and see where the young parents are, all the young people, um, and and see what you can do to help them. You know, there's some great organisations that that do a lot. So Mummies in Need is, is one. So they do baby clothes and baby gear. So if you've had a baby and they've outgrown all their clothes or you've gotten a new car seat and they've, you know, your old car seat's sitting there or your pram or your bassinet or whatever, donate them to these charities don't just give them to the op shop <laughs> give them to mummies in need or little mores because because we we can access those for these young mama who who really need them yeah and if you're a landlord find a young parent to rent your house to <laughs> it's the least you can do <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome lauren hey thank you so much for your time today and yeah for your hard work um in the space and and for your your colleagues and the team there um, at Itapa area and appreciate you giving the time especially after what I know has been a crazy day um, serving and supporting our, our rangatahi in the community appreciate you mate thanks Aaron so I mean that was yeah powerful conversation mm. yeah it was you know even for me like I, I mean I see this pretty daily but you know some of those stories around just the desperation that some of our young mama are going through and just the discrimination I mean that really hits for me mm-hmm. um just thinking about our own experiences as you know as a dad and you know watching my wife so they get ready for being a mum. like it's pretty crazy to think that you're also trying to think about where you're going to live yeah can you imagine if she wasn't able to just nest and set things up you know before baby you know baby <sighs> I know a young woman that was living in her car before she gave birth. Gave mm-hmm. birth, baby got taken, mm-hmm. went back to her car. Like, yeah, th- it just blows my mind that that can happen yeah. in Aotearoa. And yeah, like that was—it was just maddening. Like the criteria of like, oh yeah, once you've had the baby, then you can, <laughs> then you know you can meet the criteria for a house. But while you're hapu, you know, you need to be looking for housing. You need to be trying to get on a bus, trying to find you know a place for you that's not going to accept you anyway because there's so much discrimination and just so stressful and then then have a baby what she mentioned like having a baby in like you know motel or emergency accommodate you know accommodation like that or in shared accommodation you know just crazy <laughs> i yeah i have to be honest when i like just when i first heard this i was just that the overwhelming sense of just hopelessness you know came over me and yeah i just love what lauren's mentioned about you know when she was like you know i thought you know, when I got into social work, that it was about social justice and making, you know, big change and then feeling like actually there's not a lot of that happening. And I remember that, you know, from way back when, when I was doing my studies and it was talking about, it's the relationship between 
the person and their environment. That's what social work looks at that that engagement. Um, and quite often it's okay. How can we change the person to fit the environment that is lacking? Versus how can we actually shift and change this environment or the systems to fit with a whole group of people that are being you know falling through the gaps. And that's the frustrating thing that I felt was on in her heart. She's wanting to do so much, thinking that social work you can go out and make make real change. And, and then the systems, well, the, the services that are supposed to help, are not actually providing that help <laughs> or are failing. So yeah, that was the overwhelming feeling when I, you know, listened to it. Was that sense of hopelessness? But then in saying that, there's there's just a lot of hope in the fact that she's out there doing the mahi, you know, that she's got such a courageous and caring heart. So, yeah. As a mum listening to that, like, how does it make you feel? Like, Yeah. Like, it's, I was so stressed out having my first and then and working out how to you know, have another one, like dealing with two, you know. And I'm, I had my first when I was in, in my late 20s. So, you know, and I had some supports, you know, supports around me, you know. So it's just, like, unfathomable, really, to think being a teenager, being pregnant, not having a place to be, not having a support around you, and the services that are supposed to help are really judging you and are not opening, there's just no open doors, really, for you. So, oh, like, just so... So scary, so stressful. And then you just, and also like you kind of, a big part of it is like, you know, I don't know if there's many mums out there that are listening to this, but like it is about just totally calming your mind and just like deep breaths, like preparing for this whole new other being to come into your life and just being able to be there for them and being able to do all the things and all the body, things your body has to go through, feeding Peppy and, you know. So that's not going to be able to be on her mind to be able to, you know, to enjoy or, yeah, really be open to learning something new. <laughs> you know, you're just stressed, so stressed, so stressful. So, yeah, it just doesn't make sense, does it? And that can't be good for Pippi, right? No. That can't be good for the baby, you know, because when you're stressed, when the environment's yeah, yeah, stressed, it has yeah. an impact on, yeah, you know, yeah, kids. Yeah. No, when, um, yeah, Pippi comes just to be still dealing with, that uncertainty or not having the like a place that you can really feel settled in that keeps things really unsettled so yeah rough yeah one of the things that got me thinking about you mentioned discrimination like just the narratives we have in our societies about young mums you know like we hear it fairly commonly you know like throwaway comments about you know dull bludges and you know mum's just having babies for the benefit and all that sort of stuff which just you know is when you meet real people and actually you know step into their reality for a second it's just untrue would you say that if you met someone you know would you would they would they say that to their face or would they be faced with a real person with a real story and real needs and with a a, a you know a peppy you know a baby that's going to I think that's the problem. Like, I think we have these narratives within our society that are so entrenched that we've been told for generations, which are just untrue. And when you get faced with the reality, when you meet that young mother and you hear her story and you figure out what actually led her to that experience, it's not this, you know, narrative that you've been told about this, you know, greedy woman that's just having all these babies. Like, it's so much more complex. Mm -hmm. And it's actually just a real human being who's Mm -hmm. struggling. And but 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 those those narratives and those things that we believe are hugely harmful because they inform policy. Yeah. They inform funding. They inform yeah. the way that we treat people in our communities mm. and whether we give them help mm. or we don't. Mm. And so, you know, they need to be we need to examine them within ourselves, I think, you know, when we're sharing that on social media or, you know, liking a comment or, you know, engaging in it with our mates. For like sure. yeah. it's having a huge impact. Mm. Yeah. Totally. Also I it was just interesting just um, around um, you know, some of the f- different services that would be getting involved, you know, in with um, the mama and um, the stresses that come up with that. So Oranga Tamariki being, 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 being red, red flagged by, the, by that. And it seemed like she, Lauren was just, it had felt like she did, hadn't had very good experiences with OT. And, yeah, I just wanted to bring that up because, you know, that, it sucks that that's been an experience for for her, and it seems like for a lot of um, young mums and, and and papas and stuff. Um, and for not all sites or social workers would you know you'd have that experience with looking at 
the situations. It's such a needs-based issue. And on that, you know, there is processes that OT would not red flag, shouldn't, you know, that it's not a health and safety thing. And, and it's not a care and protection matter. And so it's, yeah, it sucks to hear that she's had some of the ne- negative experiences where OT has been quite a stressful part in this whole story as well. Um, whereas, you know, it's really a needs-based thing where an OT social worker would look at it and, and, and need to go, okay, this is purely a housing need and they just need some more supports around them and that's the issues here. And then when the supports aren't in place, when the right supports are there and if things starts to fall down, you know, fall over and then health and, you know, care and protection and safety stuff start coming in and then, you know, like it's just such a terrible... Um, kind of catch-22 situation where then oh suddenly things start getting really unsafe and oh and then the fear and stress of having a child having to be uplifted or thing, you know something like that yeah I hope that there can be better experiences with with, with all those services involved yeah and, and I think it's real hard because there is like you say there's there's good social workers doing good work in the community in the community and in all the rangatamuriki mm. and then there is there is at times poor practice, you know, mm-hmm. and there is those those um, experiences where young people are discriminated against and not given the chance to get the support. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like personally myself, I've, I've worked in those cases where, you know, our, our state agencies, uh, instead of being a help, are a hindrance, and, you know, have mm-hmm. gotten in the way and we've had to work and advocate 10 times harder to get the support for the young person rather than, you know that being assessed at the beginning yeah we can work together with a community to mm. to get a better outcome mm. so um but but i think some of that's like once again those narratives about our young mums that we all bring into our practice right mm. um and a need to examine ourselves and around what we're responding to here have we done everything we can to ensure that this whanau can stay together and i know there's a lot of conversation around that at the mm. moment and how we work together as a community to ensure that that's the outcome mm. yeah for sure and that's yeah having that sense of as a community member as a person that lives in your neighborhood in your um, community and it's a re- point that lauren raised about just like are you aware of the young people in your community you know are you um and just being able to look out for each other and having that sense of i mean it's so tricky now like when we have you know with the pandemic and everything and the internet and all the, and the joys of that you know like just how unempathetic we have become and how like yeah how hard it is to really connect and and we do feel isolated you know but like to actually be able to see each other as people and I don't know I mean I know we're both you know on the MC you know team board and you know we it is a big passion on both of us eh, Aaron about community Mm. initiatives and community stepping up to support their people and uh, like how do we as you say, like change narratives, change our mindsets to be able to look at each other in a way that we feel mm. like, like until we have some sort of shared responsibility for the, mm. those in need, um, the ones that are really struggling in our community. Yeah, I think it's such an important point. Um, MCT's Mass Community Trust, by the way, um, trust that we're both working together in and we're working on a project which is about how we empower our communities to care for um, young people that are experiencing homelessness um, in our own community. But I, I think that's a real important route of community responsibility. You know, it's really easy in this conversation to um, point a finger at one agency or one service but actually we all have a part to play government community um, you know various services around actually what we can do and this you know f- from where I sp- my perspective in sort of the community sector I think we can be really great at pointing the finger at where the government needs to grow and government agencies need to change and that's important you know that advocacy um, does need to happen and sometimes it does take the community to to name the problems and, and call it out um, and put the pressure on the government to, to make the changes that are needed that, that's that's valuable. But also within the community sector we have gaps and we have blind spots and at, at times we're not working as well together as we could to ensure that our whanau aren't slipping through the cracks and at times we're allowing, you know, like, we, like um, I think we've said already, the, those narratives around young people and their place in the world and you know whatever has brought them to that point to to inform the support we give them or the support we don't give them um even that that conversation around like a young person needing to um have a baby before we can let them into our housing like i get that there's a lot of complexity around that you know leading a service myself we have to make impossible decisions because we have um you know waiting lists that are just you know huge right like way too many people needing housing and not enough mm. and so we make really difficult 
calls sometimes around who we can accept and who we can't, which is just horrendous for the people having to make those decisions. But at the same time, I think a question that I, I'm always wrestling with is, is, is there something we can do? You know, um, Can we be creative in this situation? Can we tear down the box and create a new one if it means that this person is going to have a better outcome? And those, those are hard, but you know, I think there's, there's more that can be done at a community level. Mm, yeah, and I really loved how Lauren addressed so many of the different parts of the criteria with um, MSD, you know, that in different services that yeah, these young people were falling through the, cra- the cracks. So having people like her or, you know, being able to raise these concerns and be able to go, hey, this isn't working for our young people. Yeah, I just, I wonder, talking to politicians, talking to um, people that can change policy, can make things happen, mm-hmm. being able to, I don't know exactly how that all works because I'm not in that world, um, but that sounds like a really good thing to do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, and I think that's like an important part of it, Astra, I think sort of Laura mentioned you know there's there's the stuff we can do as a community to reshape our own thoughts and opinions and perspectives which has an impact and then you know there's some of that action stuff around like actually hitting up your local MPs and letting them know this is an issue you care about Mm. so that when they go to represent you they know that actually that's important to you and um, if they want to keep your vote maybe they'll do some stuff on that you know yeah so I mean as we're coming to a close i mean do you have any uh, any last thoughts or reflections <laughs> on um yeah yeah on this on this you know this corridor yeah i think one thing is like if people are wondering like is this actually an issue like homelessness you th- you know after hearing you yeah. speak and i'm pretty sure like people that listen to you probably know that's an issue by now but you know like when we're in a crisis like we are with housing you know and it's like the effect that it has on like it just trickles down to, you know worse and worse so like the effect it has on middle class like people and you've got complaints and you know issues you know issues that you know middle class are dealing with because of the housing crisis been not being able to afford a you know buy a home and all those kinds of hopes and dreams that were there and not you know really squeeze it into the house that you already have and then it um and people that are actually dealing with, with poverty you know it i guess the situation we're in now is that there's just so much more poverty because of just the growing inequity because of crisis that we're in um and so overcrowding is such a huge huge issue you know and so when people say well you know does homelessness really exist like it does and there's so many people that are living in such uncomfortable spaces with overcrowding and then falling pregnant and you know not having anywhere in absolutely no space for them and for PP. so yeah it's it's just like a logical it's a logical outcome to just when when times are when we're in a crisis like this. Yeah, I mean you're you're so right, and you know what? Some of the language we're starting to talk about around the housing crisis is actually moving away from the word crisis to a human rights crisis. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, you, yeah, you know, and one one of the reasons for that is is recognizing that we're in this situation because of a whole range of reasons, but actually the people's human rights are being violated in, mm. in this. And they, they, you know, everyone, you know, we believe in Aotearoa, you know, we've we've agreed to that sort of on an international stage with, you know, treaties and UNCROC and all of that, that everyone deserves the right to a safe, stable home. Mm. And so many of our people and so many of our rangatahi don't have a safe and stable home. You know, you mentioned that story that I think was shared around like a young person giving birth in a hotel in an emergency accommodation like that's a whole new generation actually literally being born into homelessness mm. I mean you know for, for me in terms of my reflection like I'm, I'm like is this the Aotearoa we want you know yeah. like is this the sort of country we want where you know we have children raising children in cars and hotels mm. um, it's pretty devastating and it's not sort of the image of New Zealand it's not the image of Aotearoa that we like to project or mm. think of ourselves as, but it's reality. And I don't think it has to be real reality. I think we can do something about it. But we as a community, as a collective, we need to say, actually, it's not acceptable. We want something done about it. Not mm. next year or the next 10 years, but, you know, today. Mm. And, I, and I think we can do a lot more than we're doing. Mm. And we've talked a little bit about, like, what some things that people can do, what some more things that that Lauren mentioned in, I think, your interview with her. You know, there was a few more things that... Yeah, yeah. look, the one we, we keep bouting on about is sign up petition, you know, yeah. go to Action Station. It's beautiful sign, petition. No, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. Sign the petition. Do it. Share it. 
Yeah. But you know that that's part of building a movement and building you know of a collective voice to say actually all of us we care about this issue and we want our government to care about this issue and we want rapid fast action on this mm. right. Mm. The more voice we give to that, um, the more opportunity for us to to get like real reform off the ground. So you know that's one thing. But you know one of the big things is I think we need to have these conversations in our communities. You know we need to we need to challenge when we hear these old stereotypes about Alfano um, that are derogatory and you know dehumanizing. We need to call that out. You know we don't and we don't need to be like throwing stuff at each other as we're doing it but you know just like gently asking some questions and hey like do you really believe that do you mm-hmm. know what you're saying there mm-hmm. let's have a conversation about that as a community and maybe just test this narrative is it legit and do we really have a place for it within our society anymore mm. yeah and we're going to put a link down to that mummies in need yes. thing too yeah um, you want to talk about that yeah being able to just um pass on your um, baby things that you don't no longer need mm. for any our mamas and papas out there. Yeah, so Lauren mentioned the mummies in need um, mm. service that they have, so where those can go to the, the young mums and pups, so we'll have a link for that too. Yeah, and it, and definitely support Itabiria Fano Services. Um, you know, look them up, give mm. them some love, and yep. yeah, and look after your own, you know, look at those young people in your community and, you know, what can you do to love and care for them and support them as well. Mm. Cool. Yeah. It's been great having you today, Jess. You know, we've been meaning to do this for quite some time now. We have. Weeks, in fact. Um, so it's so great to, to do this. I feel like I've been living under a rock for quite some time with sickness and kids and stuff like that. And this and, is our first, yeah. like, ho- successful, hopefully, fingers crossed, touch wood, mm. um, in-person interview. So yeah, look, this is the real deal. You know, I was nervous. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> You smashed it. You smashed it. Um, no, but um, so so thankful for you to have me on here. Um, person of average intelligence. No, no. Anyway, <laughs> well, um, we're going to go because the, the tea's cold. I know. Not coffee today, but the um, tea's pretty cold. It was a good And tea. Um, Jess is going to sing us out. No. We actually are because the th- theme song. Oh, <laughs> that Jess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kakite. Kakite. Is silent, the podcast. Rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you are listening, and join the conversation by following us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. The music from this podcast is from the album Dissonance by Jess Jackson and Leon Shelley. Listen to more from these artists on Spotify.